Hey, good morning, church. How are we doing today? It's good to see all you online, too. Uh, hey, we um, are in the final uh, week of this series that I've really enjoyed uh, being able to think about and, and have the resurrection of Jesus reorder my life. I, I hope it's been helpful for you, too. Uh, I, as we were thinking about um, the last habit that we're going to talk about today, um, this illustration came to mind for one of our pastors, and they shared it with me, and I, I was like blown away by the concept of what they were sharing. They uh, were telling me about this new type of um, concert. I had never heard about it. It's apparently the hottest ticket you can get to a concert, and I'm not talking about T-Swift. Um, they, they were telling me about this type of thing. It's, it's called a disco. Now, okay, I hear it, the youth and all that stuff. Some of you have already been to discos, disco died, all that stuff. But uh, it's a disco where it's totally personal. You walk into a, a crowded field or a tent or an environment, and um, you're handed headphones, like Beats-style headphones, and you put it on, and you take in the entire evening through just these headphones, and there's a DJ who's mixing live for you usually, and every single person experiences the, the music that day, not through speakers and subwoofers, but through beats. Dr. Beats on your head, and, and here's what's crazy. Has, okay, has anybody, has anybody done this? There's a guy sitting right there in the first service who was like, oh my gosh, it was amazing. And, and, and people who have done this have said it's like the most awesome environment because, it, because all of a sudden you take this personal experience that, that you're, here, I got a picture of it just to show you what it's like. All these people just wearing headphones, all listening individually to the same thing. But if you were standing on the side of this hill here watching everybody, you would hear the most ridiculous noise of murmurs and talking and yelling. And you know that thing when your kid has their headphones on way too loud and they're trying to sing along and they might be a good singer, but when you can't hear yourself singing, you sing off pitch, and everybody's like trying to shout uh, Uptown Funk together, and nobody can sing it loud enough in the right key, and it's all just really crazy and mumbled and jumbled. That's what this is. Unless you're in the headphones, if you're on the side, it just kind of looks like chaos and weirdness. And, but if you're in the midst of it, people have said it's intoxicating and it's transcendent. Those are really big words to describe listening to music with headphones on while around people. Don't you think? And um, I think as we, we consider the habits that we've put together for us over the past couple of weeks that invite God's purpose and power in our lives, some of us might have gotten the impression that what this is for us is, is just a way that we've handed you some, some headphones and you get to put them on and let it move you as it will. That, that your own experience with these habits is what's going to be the most important thing. And today, here's what I want to do. I want to just clear all of us of these chairs and give you headphones and let you just have a party. Okay, we're not doing that today. That's going to be in a couple of weeks because this idea is way too cool for us not to try. One day, you'll, you'll come to Heartland and there's just going to be nothing in here except for a disco light and a DJ. And won't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be great? Next week? Okay. The nine o'clock said two weeks from now, but you know, there might be a big thing happening that day. We'll see, we'll see. Uh, what I wanna do is, is actually tune us all into the same, all right, for the metaphor, the same DJ, the, the same author of our lives. I want us to realize that all of us in this room are listening to the same creator. 
And I want to put together the pieces from this series for us so that we can see kind of how all of these habits work together. And, and what I want to do is draw your attention to Acts chapter 2. If you've got a Bible uh, or a phone, open up to Acts 2.42. I'm going to reference a couple things that are not going to be on the screen, so it might be helpful for you to have that open in front of you. But um, before I go there, Acts 2 um, is, is what I want to call the Instagram highlight reel of the church. You know how like nothing you see on Instagram is actually authentic? Um, this is authentic to what actually happened to the early church, but it's not the whole story. It's just the highlight reel. Um, how many people know that churches are messy? Okay, the 9 o'clock service was a little bit more honest. How many people know that even Heartland has problems? How many people know that every single church in the history of humanity has had issues? How many people know that even the early church had problems? Okay, some of you just didn't know anything about that. Can I tell you something? All of this are the problems of the early church. That's why it was written. God was straightening out Jesus' followers to help them live the authentic Jesus' first life. And so I want to say that because what I'm going to read today is so positive. It is so optimistic that sometimes we can get the impression that this is the exact experience that I have to have in my life. Otherwise, I'm missing the mark. But how many people know that when you go through good experiences, they usually come out of bad experiences? These people have, have walked through the desert. These people have seen their Savior crucified. They lived through Friday night and Saturday and then found Sunday. And the resurrection of Jesus actually changed their lives so much that here's what they did. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves, I'll come back to that word in a second, to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I just want to take this apart really quickly because um, this is what we've been doing in the month of January here at Heartland. Kick the habit was this idea not of just, you know, stopping bad habits, but of starting positive habits. We're going to kick off good habits for ourselves. And this word devoted, it actually implies this persistent power. That's what the word really means. It's, it, the root word is, is there's a power to this. The, the root of this word in Greek is power. They got power, how? By their persistence in this activity. What did they do? They devoted themselves. They had habits to the apostles' teaching. Now, this can be really confusing for us because the apostles were the followers of Jesus who lived with him, the 12 disciples, including the one that got added in after the resurrection. They were the ones who Jesus had actually shown himself to and talked uh, to them. What was the apostles' teaching? Well, it wasn't just their experience of Jesus. They had a set uh, group of, of, of work, a set scriptures, so to speak, of what this was. The apostles' teaching was the Old Testament scriptures as they related to Jesus' resurrection. The apostles' teaching, what they devoted themselves to was understanding that the resurrection of Jesus changed everything. And so even th this part of the Bible, the Old Testament, that, that was the only Bible they had at this time, even this was reordered to be reframed around the idea that Jesus is risen from the dead. And so everything that the Old Testament says to us about God has to become true in Jesus and, and you might be thinking, like, that's a really far stretch. But this is what Luke, the author of Acts, says in Luke chapter 24. Jesus resurrects from the dead. He finds two of his disciples walking the road to Emmaus. He comes up to him. He says, what are you guys talking about? And they say, well, Jesus rose from the dead. And we're not sure how this could be. And he says, don't you understand these things? And then he says, beginning with Moses, that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Moses, we believe, wrote those books. That's how the Bible talked about the Old Testament. Moses and all the prophets. That's like the rest of the Old Testament. Whenever you see Moses and the prophets, that's the scriptures. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in the scriptures. Say this with me. Concerning who? 
All right, we got a game to get to a little bit later today. I'm going to need you to up the energy a little bit, all right? I will preach shorter and better if you kind of just talk back just a little bit. <laughs> Concerning himself. Jesus reframes the entirety of the scriptures to say, all of this is about me. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to understanding all that God had said to them to be pointing towards Jesus, the resurrected Messiah. That just blows my mind. The second thing they did is they devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, if it wasn't for Lord of the Rings, we wouldn't know what this word means. And if it wasn't for your academic, like, collegiate fellowship, we wouldn't know what this means. To have fellowship, it literally means to have something in common with one another. What do we as Jesus followers have in common together in this room right now? Someone said it. It's the church answer. Jesus. Thank you guys for helping me out. Jesus. You know, every time I step into a, a group of, of Jesus followers, whether, you know, it's here in a church or, you know, I connected with a bunch of people out in the West Coast last summer and, and they're all Jesus followers. I didn't know any of them. I'm always amazed that we come from different backgrounds. We come from different places. We even come from different perspectives. And yet what holds us together is Jesus. This word fellowship, it means that they had one thing in common. It was their love and faith in Jesus. You know what's crazy about this room right now? We have people in this room who did not grow up in America. Every week here at Heartland, I, I meet people who have just moved to Kansas City from a different country or grew up in a different country. And I think that's one of the richest things in our faith is that God brings people from different places together through his son, Jesus Christ. I, I meet people who um, have tremendous amounts of wealth just like I have another conversation with someone the same day of people who are on welfare. And in the church, it doesn't matter. All of us are welcomed because of Jesus. Amen? Like, that, isn't that one of the most amazing things? Like, like there are country clubs that I can't get into because I'm not a member, but there's no country club status here at Heartland. All are welcome because God gives value and worth to his people if they put their faith in Jesus. And so we have fellowship. It's this coming together, this commonality. They, they break bread together. And this is more than just having like uh, donuts in the atrium. Um, they, don't, they don't just have chips and salsa with the game. This, this breaking of bread is a code, just like apostles' teaching was code and fellowship is a bit code. The breaking of bread was the remembrance that they had that Jesus' body and his blood was broken and spilled for them. They remembered back to the night that Jesus was betrayed. The, the night that... He told them, he took bread after the meal and he broke it and said, this bread represents my body which will be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this cup represents a new covenant. It's a new way of agreeing with God that, that if you agree that my blood is important for you, you will have fellowship with God. You'll, you'll actually be united to God. You'll have a way to know God in your life. Do this in remembrance of me. And I think that Last Supper painting that all of us have seen and, and know and we remember, I think that Last Supper painting with all the disciples kind of you know, lounging around, not one of them really knew what was going on in that moment until the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. When he came back, he totally reordered this thing that he had given them to do. This breaking of bread became special to them because they realized he was giving us a way to remember that he called his shot and that he's truly God of all creation. 
And so they regularly devoted themselves to remembering the fact that Jesus came, he lived, and he died willingly laying down his life for us. Now, um, how, how often did they do this? Um, was it every day? Was it every week? Was it every month? Was it once a year? Um, let me help you with that because the Bible's um, not clear. We have no idea how frequently it was that they gathered together to break bread. We at Heartland, we've just decided that kind of once a month in our patterns is a really important way for us to keep this front and center, that we break bread, we, do, we serve communion. We're gonna be doing this at the end of our service. Um, that we do this about once a month. Why once a month? Is it biblical? No. But neither is once a week and neither is once a year. So we just wanna keep it in front of us as a way to remembering and being habitual about it. Finally, to prayer. You know, prayer, um, prayer is, is just an incredible gift, but uh, Jesus followers are not the only people around the world that pray. Actually, prayer is common to almost every religion across the globe. Isn't that crazy? Every religion thinks about prayer in some sort of capacity, whether it's meditation or whether it's talking to that God. When we talk about prayer here in Acts 2.42, it is prayer that is empowered by the living God. Prayer that comes from a place of knowing confidently that our God truly hears us and will do something about our lives. If these people prayed a lot before Jesus rose from the dead, can you imagine how much the resurrection changed their prayers afterwards? I love, we as a church just over the past couple of weeks have um, done... Uh, 21 days of prayer. Today's day number 22. And uh, I've heard story after story of people who have said, man, just the taking this moment of my day to, to recognize that God is with me, it's really changed me. And the power they've seen in persistence of prayer has led them to what all of this leads us to. You know, here's my fear. Here's my fear. Let's leave this up for a second. Um, my fear for us in this Kick the Habit series and for Christianity or, or Jesus followers today, just at large, is what we tend to do, what I tend to do with this, is I tend to hear messages from a guy like me to my own heart. And, and I hear that I'm supposed to know the teaching of the Bible as it relates to Jesus. I'm supposed to be some way around people who also know Jesus. And I'm supposed to take communion. I'm supposed to pray. And, and, and for me, what it can feel like is the church has handed me some headphones and said, put these on. You're going to need these. And, and, and so you put them on. And you start to go through this teaching and you go, well, how does this relate to me? And then you have fellowship and you, you, you realize that the, eternal, like the entirety of your fellowship is simply social media connections. Breaking your bread in communion is when you come forward by yourself and you personally thank God in your own heart for what he's done. And, and prayers, you, you pray, but you never talk to anybody about what you're praying about. I'm afraid that all of our habits have become so individualized that if other people were looking at us from the outside in, they'd say, wow, you guys really love the music you're listening to, but no one's listening to the same thing in the same way. From the outside, it looks like we're just a bunch of crazies who can't really sing. But when we all tune in to what is happening in these moments, when we all have an awareness of what this does for us as we together 
put ourselves under the teaching of the apostles. And when we together come together and say, man, I come from a different place than you, but I've got Jesus in common with you. And when we together say, man, God is so good that he gave his son to me and to you. Let's celebrate that right now. And together when we talk to God, something amazing happens in our lives. Here's, here's the next verse. Here's the outcome of what happens when we practice these habits. Everyone was filled with, say that last word, awe. awe. You could read this to say it was the awe of the signs performed by the apostles, but I actually think if a more faithful reading to what Luke is trying to say is the accumulation of all of the things that were happening in this early church was that people's souls, that's what everyone means. Everyone literally means, if you look at the King James Version, the old version, it'll say all souls or every soul, that immaterial part of you, that part that, that you can't really figure out where it came from, that part that you cannot separate from your body, that, that part that has such ability for things in this world to touch you so deeply in that place that it moves your body to joy or to tears. Every soul was filled with awe. Awe. I want to talk about awe this morning. I don't know when the last time was that you felt awe. Awe is a often sought out emotion. It's an often sought out thing. For me, I found uh, chasing awe to be quite an errand in my life. I remember uh, last year, is this time of year that I felt awe, when with 13 seconds on the clock, lest I have to remind you, on a day like today, brothers and sisters, there were only 13 seconds on that clock. Awe, right? We see something improbable happen and it makes us go, whoa. But a lot of the awe that we have today is the type of things that three weeks from then, one year from then, we ask ourselves this simple question, does it still matter? <laughs> and a lot of the things that we find awe or awesome, the answer is uh, no. Because that ain't helping us today. It might be 13 seconds on the clock today. And you might go, we're doomed. Because the awe that you experienced in the past has a way of leaving us if it is not rooted in something greater or bigger than that. What is awe? Awe is this emotion that we have when we realize that we are actually a part of something bigger than ourselves. Oftentimes, we'll talk about standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and seeing the vast expanse of all that God created and, and looking out and saying, God, you are so big. And that, in some sense, is awe. This recognition that I am so small, what God is doing is so large, but awe is way deeper than that. Awe, awe has a greater impact than that. I want to show you how big awe is by showing you how small we've made it, if I can do that. Uh, the other day, I read an article in the New York Times, uh, which, which simply said this. this was January 3rd uh, of 2023. Uh, the New York Times wrote this article, how a bit of awe can improve your health. Um, experts wonder if it's an essential human emotion or a salve for a turbulent mind. And um, let me give you a spoiler alert. Uh, scientists have researched this 
phenomenon of awe and said that people who experience awe in their life find that they are more at peace, they have lower levels of of anxiety, and awe has this effect in your life where it releases um, oxytocin, which is the the thing in your life that helps you bond and trust other people. And um, here's here's some of the ways that these uh, researchers from different universities talked about awe. I will just read it to you because... I don't know, some of the stuff they say I don't want you hearing in a church, but so this is a quote. Dr. Moskowitz, one of the researchers said that um, intentional awe experiences, you can actually try and experience awe in your life. Can be things like um, walks in nature. How many of you ever uh, been awed in nature? Yeah. Um, I am planning to be awed in nature this year. I've got a bunch of things out in, uh, in, in some bucket list places I'm going to try and go and some people I want to do that with, and, and I am excited because I want to feel small. So check, yeah, you can, you can have a walk in nature. A collective moment. I think they were trying to say silent disco, but they didn't have the words. It's like a dance or a ceremony. I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding and just been so moved by the wedding that it was just so deeply impacting. That was your soul connecting with awe. <clears throat> don't raise your hand on this one. Even use of psychedelics. It'll improve your psychological well-being. Um, awe. Trying to get awe in your life through all of these very natural ways. Other suggestions later in the article experience, uh, tell us that we're to experience awe via unfamiliar experiences. So, so one of the ways you can, according to this research, to experience awe in your life is to open yourself up to new experiences. And while I want to believe that these researchers had the best intentions in mind, can you tell me if you like these ideas or not? They said one of the ways, this is a direct quote, choose a restaurant you don't usually visit. Take a different route to work. How many of you go the straightest way? <laughs> hey, I don't want to wander. Or check out some music you aren't familiar with. Or some ways for you to experience awe. Okay, these are what I would call awe-adjacent ideas. A lot of what we've settled for in our lives, and, and you and I have fallen into the same trap of thinking we've got to feel like there's something deeper or something greater out there, and so I want to feel alive, we say. And so we do all these things hoping that it's going to move us in our soul. We're going to get an experience. And what it's like is like if you and I were to stand at the base of Everest and with our fingernail try and scratch a bit of the dust of Everest off so that we could put it on the ground and stand on top of it and tell the world we've climbed Mount Everest. Luke is giving us something greater to the awe that our souls crave right here in Luke chapter 2, verse 42. He is not giving us well-style awe. He's giving us top-shelf transcendence. Luke is telling us so very clearly that if you want to have an experience with God, if you want to see the life that God has given you, the souls being engaged at peak amazement, not only that you can enjoy life or new things, but because you can see your creator and your soul can feel its full worth, here's how. He says, like love is the highest expression of a heart, awe is the highest expression of soul. It has no greater feeling, no deeper sense, no greater importance than the welling up of awe in your life. Your soul is capable, this is mind-blowing to me, your soul is capable of both the indescribable joy and the overwhelming dread at the thought of the infinite and the divine. 
that if you would run into this experience this week, run into awe and bump into awe this week, the magnitude of who God is and how small your life is, it would cause you both peace and panic. It's simultaneously the safest place in the world to be, but also has the highest concentration of dangerous power. Awe. It's the recognition that the immortal God has set eternity deep inside of our hearts, though our hearts are mortal. So the reason that you and I gasp when we watch the sunrise over a valley, or, or when we gasp when we hold a newborn, or we gasp when we watch a soldier who's returned from overseas duty to be reunited with their child or their loved one. The reason that catches us in our spirit is because we feel in those moments humanity's smallness and the massiveness of this world. There is no more massive moment than the moment our eyes beheld the beauty of our God in the marvelous works that he does through us. Awe is the feeling that we get when we realize how small we are and yet we are not alone and therefore we matter. All souls were filled with awe, Luke says, through God's people as they took basic steps to pray together, to fellowship together, and to read scriptures together through the reality of the resurrection and remember together the sacrifice of Jesus. Here's why I think we have top shelf transcendence here from Luke is because he's giving us this, this whole point, this whole habitual thing is to say the act of celebration of changed lives leads to awe. No offense to really smart researchers. No offense to the New York Times. I think, yes, you can find moments of feeling small and grandeur that cause your heart to feel odd. But you, I, I, you know this. I, I know this. There is no greater awe in this world than the awe that happens when you realize God has changed you. When you realize you're not the same person anymore. When you realize that this encounter that you had with this living God is for real and forever. And it's in the celebrating of that that you and I find this. I, um, I think about that early church. I think about you and me. I think about all that God has done in us and I wanna put before us this one act today, this one habit that I wanna call us to. It's the habit of celebration. It's a habit of actually marking with our time and our moments and our services what God has done inside of our hearts. I think about that early church who read the scriptures through the lens of the resurrected Jesus and they were awed. Who prayed through the lens of the resurrected Jesus and they were awed. Who had fellowship with one another. Roman guards meeting with Jewish peasants in the same community awed at the work of God that could bring such diverse enemies together. I think about that moment that they broke bread and remembered the moment that Jesus broke bread 
and were awed by the words that Jesus said, I do this for you, do this in remembrance of me. It reminds me of what John says in one of his letters. He, he says, um, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. And in the breaking of breads, what, what are you doing? He, we touched him with our own hands. And we say to you, he is the word of life. Translation, he is awesome. So all of these habits that we've been stringing together over the past couple of, of, of weeks is really just for this. It's because celebration leads us to awe. Celebration, it's the marking of moments. It's the acknowledgement of a thing or a person. And I want to lead us as a church right here today to have a moment of celebration in our midst. I want to lead us today to remember the fact that the resurrection of Jesus has actually changed our lives. It's changed your life. It has the power, if you've yet to come to Jesus, it has the power to do the unthinkable in your life and actually help you have a life of purpose and power. I don't want to ignore the fact that in this room today are people who are desperately seeking awe and you're looking for something transcendent in your life. And I'm here today with so many other people to tell you my life has been changed by Jesus. W would you just recognize that he came for you, he loves you, and the only experience that you need in this life for your soul is him. We as a church, I want us to, to grow in our celebration of changed lives. And so what, is this, what does this look like for us? How do we as a people grow in these sort of dev devotions, these, these dedicated acts? Well, um, to borrow some of the research from the New York Times, I think that it means for us having our eyes open for the new experiences that God leads us into. Not just trying to get new experiences for new experience sake, but for having our eyes open in the midst of these new experiences when God shows up. I've been doing this over the course of, gosh, 20 years now. However old the iPhone is, I don't know. It's maybe 15 years. And uh, whenever, whenever I would feel like I've met with God in a place or there was something about an experience. I've had the habit in my life of just snapping a picture. It could be of a, of a, of a, of a scene. It could be of a tree. It could, it could be of a person's face. And, and it's not those things that I see God in. I'm not, a, I'm not a mystic. But it's in the remembering that God met me here. And I want to celebrate the fact that I felt small and God was big. I don't know, maybe for you, it's just marking of that. Maybe for you as a parent, you've got all these moments where God has shown up in the life of your family. I was talking to a parent today and he said to me, you know, our, our, our child was trying to get into their, their number one college and every, everywhere else had come through but that one. And we've been praying and praying and praying and, and just this week, the acceptance of their scholarship that makes it possible for them to go to school there came through and we Thank God. And it's the marking of that moment, not just that you're smart enough, not just that you're good enough, not just that we have the resources enough, but that God brought you through in his timing to feel small and safe in his gigantic hand. I, I don't know if I've ever shared this story in my life with you. I can't believe I haven't. But if I haven't, um, one of these moments for me, it's kind of one of those moments of extraordinary awe. I... Um, realized when I was 16 that I needed Jesus. And when I came to Jesus, like he turned my life upside down. I started devouring the Bible. I don't know if you've ever had this where you came to Jesus, your eyes were open, and you're like, I've got to know more. 
So I devoted myself to, to, to really a 16-year-old. It, it was a weird thing to do. I just started reading the Bible. And I was, the, um, I was the, the, the high school senior who showed up to school back in my 1996 Astro van. Thanks, Dad. Um, I was the kid who wasn't listening to Radiohead on the way to school. I was listening to sermons on the radio. I had wanted to be a lawyer. And then Jesus changed my life, and now I just litigate the Bible. So joke's on me. I wanted to make money. Now I do this. And uh, I had this hunger to just grow in that. It's this thing where I was like, gosh, I just really, I really think I want to do this. And I remember sitting in the parking lot early before school, listening to preaching on the radio and thinking, you know, what's crazy is like what this person's doing is just reading the Bible and telling other people about it. I remember this as a 17-year-old. I think I want to do that. I grew up in a family where that was kind of the business of our family. I have a grandfather who's preached. Uh, he, he's no longer on this earth, but he preached uh, to millions of people over his life, and he's well-known. And I remember thinking, like, God, I don't want to be called to do this just because it's a family business. I want to know that you're in this, and so here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to apply to one college. <laughs> I'm going to apply to one college, and it's going to be to learn how to preach. And if you haven't called me to do this, please stop me from wasting my life. But if you're asking me to give up all of my ambitions, I'm willing to say yes. And I remember the day the acceptance letter from that one college came. I think my mom was so relieved that I got into a school. And um, she watched as I opened it with a little bit of a smirk on her face. And I was a little nervous what she was going to say. I thought she was going to be like, wow, you a pastor? Um, that's what I thought my mom was going to say. And um, you know, she didn't say anything. You know, as like a kid, like that disappointment that you have when your parents are like, oh, shoot, I really blew it. They're not even saying nothing. And I realized um, it wasn't because she was disappointed. It's because there was something really profound happening in her heart in that moment. She um, insisted that she come move me into college. And so um, here I was, an 18-year-old on my way out the, you know, trying to have independence and flex my own life skills. And my mom is moving me into my college dorm room. And she's insisting to make my bed. I'm like, Mom, come on. And she does. And say goodbyes. I think I stayed up until 2 in the morning playing Frisbee like you do. And I got back into the dorm room that night first night away from my parents and I, I, I tuck my hand under my pillow and there's something there. It was a letter. Um, my mom had taken it upon herself to express herself in the best way she knew how, which was through her writing. She wrote me a letter. It looks, it looks very similar to this sheet of paper, but it's one of the most prized possessions I have in my entire life. Because there I was at you know, two, three o'clock in the morning on a precipice of this journey, trusting that God had called me to a thing, not knowing if it was going to work or not. And in this letter, my mom wrote to me. She said, Dan, I want you to know something. Before you were born, I was praying to God that he would give me someone in our family. One of my kids would be spending their entire lives building the kingdom of God. That's what she said, building the kingdom of God. And then she went along in the letter and detailed moment after moment of my life 
where she watched God degree by degree by degree move my heart towards the answer of her prayer, a prayer that exceeded the span of my life. You ever had that moment where you felt so small and God was so big? That moment where you realize that, that your life is not your own. That moment where you realize God's been walking and working and, and helping and the waiting of all these things. God's been with you. And awe is the experience when the smallness of our lives realize that we've been met by the presence of God. And we celebrate it. My mom celebrated the awe that she had in her life because of God's moving in mind. And that's what I want to call us to as a church. That we wouldn't leave awe tucked deep inside of us, but that we'd find ways throughout this year as a church to celebrate the changing of lives here in our own church. So we're going to do that with the time that we have remaining right here, right now. Um, I'm leaving about 14 minutes on the clock for us here, and here's what's going to happen. We're going to celebrate the fact that Jesus really came, really lived, really died, and really rose again, the same way that the early Christians would, by taking communion. Communion is a special act for those who follow Jesus to taste and touch and feel the things that remind us of Jesus' words and his work. And so just like we have in times past, we've got elements here, the crackers and the juice. They represent the body and the blood of Jesus for us. And this is a way that we celebrate. Anyone who wants to celebrate Jesus is welcome to come and take communion today. The band's going to play a couple songs, and we've got about 14 minutes for us just to sit in the space and to remember and to celebrate. But also in this room, we've got four tables that are at the corners of this space, right under each of these screens and then back in the corners of, of this auditorium. And, and here's really what I want you to do. Communion is obviously an important uh, thing for us to take together, but, but today is about celebration of changed lives. And, and, and at the tables in the corners and in the back, we've got paper and Sharpies. And all I want you to do is to think of the way God has worked in your life. Now I say that and all, automatically we all, our minds go blank, right? We're all like, oh my gosh, I don't know. I don't have a story like you, like you do, Dan, where my mom never gave me that note. But um, I remember praying this week through our, through our prayer connects in the morning early with one guy who, who just made this statement. He said, man, it's a good day because God opened my eyes. God doesn't know it was that, but he did it. And this guy saw it, and it produced awe in his heart. All of us know the way that God has worked in our lives through providing a salvation and a fresh start through Jesus. A changed life because he's forgiven our sins. And so if today you're coming to communion because God has saved you and changed you because of Jesus, that is the way to come to communion. But it's also a great thing for us to proclaim to one another. And maybe you just write that on the card. In the first service, we had people who were just saying, God saved my marriage. God, God this week has provided for me and helping me pass some tests. God this week gave me a clear diagnosis. Or God was with me this week in the midst of a really hard diagnosis. Now, what we want to do with all of these cards that we'll collect, we've got hundreds from the first service, and I, I, I don't want you to come up to take communion until you have that thing in your mind so that after you take communion, you go to these tables and you scratch out and leave that card here at the tables. We're going to compile these in a bit of an artist's uh, piece. Just as a way for us as a church to mark the moments of celebration that happened here, that God has changed our lives. So the best way to celebrate is not to talk about it, but to do it. 
So I want uh, to just encourage you right here, right now. The band's gonna play. You've got some time. Consider, how has God changed you? And once you have that in your mind, come take communion. Come scribble that down on a card. And let's come back together and we'll sing. I'll be back in about 10, 15 minutes to close this up. I've got a basket. It's got um, all of these celebrations in it. Saved my life. God's provision in the last three years provided me just the right job for a new start. I'm grateful that for whatever I've decided to do, God has been my way forward and he's found me with my body, my mind, and I wake up every day with hope. God, uh, you've restored my relationship with my daughter and the birth of her daughter. Thank you for helping me grow closer to a community and find my place to be a part of this church. God, you are listening to little old me. You have uh, provided opportunities to meet new people and serve others. You gave me a wonderful career where I will retire from after a great year. I can't wait for this next adventure. Uh, God's given me daily signs that moving to Kansas City was best for my family. Spiritually, emotionally, and financially, he's brought me to be at peace. I'm celebrating God's, can, should I keep going? I'm celebrating God's restoration that after a period where life really beat me up, he's healed me. Thank you, Jesus, for joy. Man, we've got a lot to celebrate for, and nothing is better than our God. Hey, I, um, we had a whole other song, and I want to send you out with that song that our band is going to sing over us in a moment as you, as you leave from here. But um, I want to I just remind us that celebration, that God is actually here and alive. It's the way for us to have our souls feel its worth. And so these are not dead rituals or dead habits that we are leaning into this year, but actually power and purpose for our lives and our church. And so I hope you're here for it.